to the Parent Files Podcast. This is your host, Shaws Blake. As you well know, this is episode 98. Oh, man. Yeah. What a, what a way to start a year. So we found out in a, a very quick succession that a uh, a very nice man who was a pro wrestler who I followed throughout indies through his major career and everything uh, John Hubbard also known as Brody Lee passed away leaving his two kids and his wife uh, to survive him he's a very celebrated man and a lot of people really he touched a lot of lives and like he was just a really He had a lot of potential, and towards the end of his life, even though he's only 41, he he really kind of blossomed again. I think the hard part of a lot of things is people go work for, like, they, they build themselves up in their own thing, the way independence, independent entities are, as far as wrestling and stuff goes, because I grew up watching all this stuff. And he... He'd really kind of really come into his own when he was independent. And then he went to work for WWE. And they kind of have a mold of what they want people to do. And they kind of tamped him down. And then eventually he got free of them. And he went to go work for AEW. Which was a new upstart company. And they just let him kind of have free reign. And he just blossomed. And I can say the great thing about... Although it was last year of his life. And it was unexpected that it would be. He really... He brought a lot of people up. And kind of helped people... Really get the opportunities that he was waiting himself to have. And that's just really beautiful. So... In celebration of that man. Cheers to you, sir. And then the weight of all weights hit me with the incomparable, like, rap god that he was. MF Doom died. The weird thing was, he died in Halloween, but it wasn't released until about a day ago. Oh my god, man. I discovered MF Doom back in college. So it was like year 2000 or so. People, these artists that I knew, who were introducing me to like Kevin Smith movies and MF Doom and a bunch of different weird kind of artists were all kind of coming about. And just showing one another like these these weird new ways. And it was just fascinating, honestly, because there were all these different art forms and all these different artists that just came about for our knowledge. And Doom was one of those people who was like brought to my attention. And I remember like looking at websites as they slowly started to grow on music websites and stuff and finding mixtapes. And all these things. And he was just kind of an interesting, interesting entity. 
he wore a silver mask for those who've never heard of him he wore a silver mask to make himself kind of look like a mixture of like a old school rapper and dr doom and so he went as a lot of different names uh mf doom danger doom uh mad villain there there's so many i i have so many of his albums randomly that i've gotten throughout the years i have a few physical records uh which is very nice honestly to just have these things because i'm sure to try and find these things now would be ridiculous because you know someone dies and then people up upcharge everything because they figure they can do that and yeah it's just it's just nice to have this stuff honestly as uh as time has gone by I've, I've gotten big into like apple so i have a lot of his records via apple and stuff like that before that i had them just saved on like little tabs on uh youtube and that's how i would listen to them and he was just had this very like fantastic four versus danger doom kind of thing it's a mad villain you know if you if you ever get an opportunity please check him out he was just interesting there's so many songs that like he's done throughout the years that like just grabbed me and he suffered from horrible stage fight so a lot of times he wore the mask and on some occasions he got so nervous he didn't actually show up to shows and other people would show up with the mask on and would perform and people would get mad actually about it but with doom you never really knew what you were gonna get so it was just kind of interesting it's kind of crazy how it all works out I think hip hop has like this this rap royalty to it and a lot of these people honestly like they came up and they made a living for themselves but they I think they they didn't know what to expect and I'm like, I'm seeing these videos right now on YouTube of these people making these like one minute videos that have like 50,000 views. And it's just them sitting and listening to Doom and going, I'm gonna miss this man. He did a lot. And it's just crazy. Like we're all there. It's still the pandemic. It's still 2021. But there is a sadness in losing one of the Raptios. Like the culture has definitely worked its way through and upward and just become all these things. And I don't know how we we get to celebrate these people because he was never a mainstream guy he's never going to be this person who was going to be acknowledged by like presidents and stuff like that he's not a common he's not John Legend you know he did his own thing and he was just he was a guy he was a good guy 
he was not unflawed. But I think looking for heroes that are that are unflawed is oftentimes a waste of a lot of good energies. I don't know. Like literally, I was told by a kid who's probably only 19 or 20 who told me randomly and then we both sat there in silence for a minute and he was like oh man I was just listening to like this album like a week ago and I was like god damn man I mean I've been listening to random MF Doom albums at least once a week forever It's just hard. It's like a punch in the gut almost. <sighs> 2020 has been a pain in the ass. I'm glad it's over. But, goddamn. <sighs> I've painted many a mural to, to MF Doom. I've painted many a painting to MF Doom. It's just... Preferably his legacy will live on forever. That would be good. Maybe I'll make a pun. I think the funny thing is I was, uh, I was scrolling through Twitter and I started seeing all these people who had done all these uh, self-portraits. And in the last year or so, I have lost a significant amount of weight and taken lots of vitamins and done all these things. I take the stairs more. I try to drink water all the time. Like, to a ridiculous degree. I'm basically a visco girl at this point. And, uh... I randomly looked up BMI. Which I happen to know BMI is not a direct... Is not an easy, simplistic answer on size... You know, like, body weight type of stuff. Uh, it doesn't account for muscle, different body types, all of these things. So I looked it up, knowing this, and I am on the cusp of being, although I'm I'm 5'10", and I'm like 170, via BMI, I am right at the edge of being overweight, which I think is kind of funny, because like, I'm not overweight, so it's kind of strange and weird and whatnot. But I, I realized by seeing this, I know wow, why now I haven't really done any self-portraits in, I don't know, six, seven years. And I've been really self-conscious about a lot of this stuff. And I think of a BMI stuff and I'm like, well, 
this is probably one of the reasons, honestly. Like, you, you see yourself, and you go, I look good today. And then you look on a scale, and you go, that isn't bad. And then you look at some version of what, you know, someone's telling you, someone in your age group and your height size and so on and so forth is supposed to look like. And you're like, oh, man, I look horrible. It's like, no, you don't. But you're tricked into thinking you do. I think the funny thing about self-portraits is a lot of times they're not necessarily how you look, but how you feel you look. Which should be negative or positive. It's really dependent on your kind of your attitude towards it. I don't know that anyone really ever figures out how to be. I know I know a lot of people say they're confident, but I don't really know that people ever figure out how to be, actually be confident. It's that whole fake it till you make it thing, which I don't often think that really works in the long run, but. It sounds good. Particularly if you're telling other people how to do it. It sounds good. We all think we have, like, you know, I wish, for my example of myself, uh, there was a time when I was working at nightclubs and whatnot, and I was kind of jacked a little bit. I was working out a lot because I had to for the job. So I was picking up, you know, like 50, 60-pound buckets of ice two to 70 times a day and I'm lifting all these huge beers racks of beers and wines and all that stuff and liquors and doing all that stuff and like you know I'm a young kid I'm like 22 so you know no body no 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 body fat uh just you know arms and chest and back and abs and all that stuff. And I was, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Uh, even though, you know, I really just wanted to only just be a painter. But it paid the bills. And it's weird because you have, like, this image of, in your mind of, like, what you, your ideal of what you thought you should have looked like looked like. And then you get older and you're like, oh, man, I got to get back to that. It's like, it's just crazy. Like, you can't. There's so many factors that go into that. And I mean, when I think more about it, like, I was not healthy at all. Like, I barely ever ate. I was living on, like, probably ramen, mostly. And uh, shrimp fried rice. I remember that. And... Trying to think. Beer. <laughs> Probably beer, ramen, and shrimp fried rice. I didn't have a bitter water filter, so I was mostly just drinking tap water in a glass a lot of times. Sometimes I'd get tea, I'd get green tea, and I thought that was like the greatest. Um, without sugar or anything, because couldn't buy sugar, didn't have money for it. And, like, when I think about all those other factors that play into it, it's like, oh, man, that was not ideal in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't that I was ripped because I... Now, me being ripped had nothing to do with me having uh, no body fat. Me starving to death was probably more along the lines of me having no body fat. 
And I was just miserable the whole time. I remember I was like very, very depressed. And I remember uh, it was right around the time that like kids started calling kids emo. And so I did not, I, I remember someone saying it to me. They're like, oh, you're so emo. And I was like, I think I'm just depressed. <laughs> and I remember like the whole room just went quiet because it was supposed to be like a joke they said about me. And I was like, no, I think I'm literally just in this like deep depression. And I think maybe about some months into that, I had pneumonia and I had walking pneumonia but I was too poor to really stop working. So, and too proud, probably more so than anything. Um, and so I just kind of worked myself into an illness. And I remember most people didn't really even notice I was sick. I think like maybe one or two people started to catch on that like I had like a cough that wasn't, that sounded like horrible. And I was just lonely and ridiculous, honestly. More so, I was ridiculous on just my inability to admit it to myself. I was still painting deep, 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 deep at night till the sun came up and I would sleep till about the sun was going down again and then go to work. And then I'd come home and I'd do the painting thing all over again. And at the time, I thought it was perfect. Those were my wafy, my gray wafy years to like probably my late 20s. And it was just, I was just ridiculous. And like, that's the image I had before we started talking of my self portrait. <laughs> Like, how ridiculous is that? I'm, I'm a billion times healthier than I am that, than I was then. I'm bigger, but, I mean, I'm alive. So, you know, my organs weren't trying to shut, aren't trying to shut down now on me. So, it's just interesting, you know? You, you try to, you have these visions in your mind of like, oh my God, this was when I was that way, and this and this and this, but it's like, you gotta look at the ingredients list, man. You gotta, you know, you see the pancakes that you add water to in a box. You gotta flip that box around and see what's actually in it and see if that works for you. I mean, I'm definitely gonna eat those pancakes, but, you know, you have to decide, are you okay with trigoglargolate, et cetera, or... Is that not good for you? Are you gluten intolerant? Do you need, you know, is your celiac going to get in the way of you eating these delicious monsters? Because they make non-gluten ones. You can eat those. They are different, and they're good, but they're different. That's what you are now. You're, uh, you're the uh, gluten-free pancakes. Don't be afraid to take portraits of your... Uh, older self via cameras drawings, paintings etc at some point in time I'm going to do mine sometime this year we'll see
So I was in one of my dreams again. It was rather vivid. I was walking through the streets of Paris. And it had to be probably around like the early 1900s. So I'm walking and I'm smelling the foods and I'm seeing the people. And I see these dogs. These long uh, kind of like poodles and sharpays. Sharpays aren't typically big, but this felt like it was a sharpay and a mastiff mix. So a very big dog, but also a dog with no hair who's just all wrinkles. Kind of like a pit bull, but much more wrinkly. And I just see these dogs and they're walking across the street. I come to like a T intersection and I, I take a right and I walk past this house. Uh, and there are all these artists who are kind of punk rocky, which doesn't make any sense for the time, but look like the Sex Pistols. But they had been painted with white paint in all their homes. All the graffiti and everything had been painted with white paint. So they're walking out and they're upset because they have uh, essentially lost all their bright and vibrant colors. And that's when this uh, Sharpay, this Mastiff Sharpay walks across the street and takes this long Pinocchio nose that it has and begins to knock on a door. There's a dog in there. <laughs> With more. At the dog park. And, uh... This dog begins to knock on the door. And it sounds like a wooden poker stick. Uh, like a pull cue. Hitting the door with its nose. And this woman comes to the door. She looks like... This, uh... She has kind of like a... She looks like Baba Yaga, basically. From Spirited Away. <laughs> and she proceeds to... Uh, come out with a bigger uh, but its shoulders are a little off alignment dog also mastiff uh, hairless mastiff uh, what did I say? Sherpe and it's just very interesting we begin to talk or she talks to me calling me over I go you know, let the stray come over. I was like, oh, you, you adopt strays? And she's like, strays, nothing. This is my dog's son. Come to visit. I'm like, oh, okay. And that's when I see all the paintings on the inside. It's a house that hasn't been touched. It's all, like, white stucco. And it looks like I've run across, like, Gauguin's mother. Gauguin was a famous painter. Um, and there are all these, like, kind of pastel paintings of dogs <laughs> in people's faces, Gauguin's on occasion. It's really interesting. We began to talk of the world and food and fashion, what she thought about the neighborhood, how it was changing. said uh, art is ever-evolving 
shouldn't be afraid of change. And that's when the dog licked me in the face. Not the dog in the dream. Mom. And I have to take her out now. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know what it means. But it's interesting. Think about it. You can hear the lapping of the dog and the, uh, the squeaking of the motion and possibly even the tip-taps of her feet and her paws and Tom screaming. So, bear with me on this. I realize some of you don't know who, Go who Gauguin was. So, Paul Gauguin was a French prose impressionist artist. Unappreciated until after his death, Gauguin is now recognized as an experimental use uh, for his experimental use of color and symbolistic style, uh, distinct for Impressionism. He mostly painted a lot of like people and landscapes, but he did them a lot with um, with like uh, what it looks like. He did a lot with um like oils or if not oils like gouaches it's just a really powerful uh, oil paintings okay so they were old I'm looking this up as I'm talking to you about this as I'm making a cup of coffee for myself and my favorite new mug that Alec got me which is dirty so I'm using my second favorite mug, the Skull Mug, which many of you have seen. He just had like this really kind of vibrant style to him. He was roommates with uh, Van Gogh at one point in time. And he just painted like these really gorgeous kind of simplistic faced people, I guess, in a way. But um, he just had a really cool style about him. So it's interesting. He went to Tahiti and did a lot of these paintings of like Tahitian people. And those are the first ones I remember seeing of like these two women that he painted that were really kind of amazing. And um, yeah, honestly, just beautiful. If you ever get a chance, like by all means, please look up his work. But yeah, so in my dream, I met someone who Represented to me at the time, anyways, as Gauguin's mom showing me paintings. I don't know why anything makes her Gauguin's mom, but that's what she looked like to me. I always find the uh, relationship of an artist and coffee to be somewhat of a kindred bond. It's almost like uh, cats and painters. <laughs> There's always cats and painters. It's just interesting. They kind of go together. I mean, obviously, I have no people who have dogs who are painters also. But something about a way a cat leaves you alone. It's just kind of sits there judging. No. <laughs> sits there and watches you as you make things. Like, that's... There's something great about that. Back to coffee. Um, yeah, no, I've just... I've known so many artists that had, you know, their vice... And then they've quit their vice to then be addicted massively to coffee. <laughs> so, traded a vice for a vice, I guess. It's just interesting to me how that works. Coffee just kind of 
encapsulates so much. It's about the the making and the more the more kind of uh, arcane ways of making it, the more photographers and painters like grovel at the idea. It's like I have to grind it myself, perfect. <laughs> I have to pour it into a bowl and then slowly watch the the chips of coffee that I've ground up become coffee become become kind of a a bean tea of sorts perfect perfect love it i love it takes twice as long as a coffee maker even better (laughs) it's just funny it's just such a funny little thing and it's just tea i mean that's all it is it's just a bean tea but uh you know which i'm sure is sacrilege to anyone who actually loves coffee but yeah i just find it interesting it's always been this kind of really fascinating amazing little thing where you know all these artists from all these different we may we may paint differently but we all have the same brooding addiction to coffee when we look at people and go "Mm, five more minutes let me finish this (laughs) it's just interesting it's almost like prep work a lot of times like I have a meeting with a social media manager at 11 this morning. And I'm prepping by, you know, it's over, it's over Zoom, obviously not in person. But um, yeah, I'm prepping by drinking a cup of coffee at like 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> so that way I'm fully awake by the time we have a conversation. <sighs> should be interesting. I'm thinking of starting some type of social media specific thing for the painter files. This very gorgeous podcast. Um, and just, yeah, the painter files in general, you know. First we were a YouTube channel, and then we evolved into a YouTube channel. And a podcast, which I think the podcast is phenomenally better. But that's just my opinion. So yeah, we're going to talk over that. Should be interesting. Wish me luck. Ciao. So today's show is uh, is about authenticity. I don't typically ever just state the fact of what the show is, but for some of you who've been enjoying the podcast in the last couple months. Shout out to all you new listeners. I love you. If you have any uh, comments or questions or suggestions, please email at the uh, podcast website. Uh, sorry, email website. Um, painterfilespodcast at gmail.com. I've still not mastered this whole thing, but I'm getting there. Bear with me. Um, so I go back to MF Doom, man. Like, all caps. <laughs> he uh, he was a really authentic guy. Like he, it's it's not often time in like black culture or even like hip hop culture that we we show ourselves as vulnerable. You know, particularly in men. Doom died at forty nine years old, and he was probably one of the more authentic people you ran across. Because he showed anxiety. 
He showed fear. He showed, you know, the ability to be different and authentic and real. And there were a lot of people that kind of, like, ripped him off occasionally. Who, you know, they had, like, a very similar kind of feel to what he had. Uh, I'm thinking of, like, the 67... Uh, rap English rap group. They've got a guy. Uh, I can't remember what his name is. Scrolls maybe. Skulls. Scrolls. Scriggs. Scriggs maybe. They're English, so I mean they got they got different names for everything. Um. Yeah. So he. Um, but yeah, he wore the mask because he wanted to be something. I, I felt like he wanted to be something more than just. He wanted to be a movement, a thing. As opposed to just a man. And that's that says a lot, honestly. I think to show yourself... To show that you're afraid... You have, like, anxiety to perform in front of large groups of people live. Like, is a pretty big thing, honestly. Like, that's not something we, we see a lot in people who perform in general. Like, you hear people who say, I have a horrible stage fright. But you don't really see how that affects them, particularly. Nobody ever misses... Elton John, in my history of knowing things, never missed a show due to stage fright. He probably did. I probably just don't know about it. I don't know a lot about Elton John. Uh, I picked him randomly in this. But, yeah, I mean, those are, those are things. Like, they, there's always this narrative of, like, we as a people have to somehow be strong and fearless and I mean that's that's not true via gender via race ethnicity nationality any of those things it can be rather difficult to to really find like a truth in those things I like to think I have a good authenticity about things like you know you know my fears my my hopes my dreams the things I worry about about myself, things I worry about about other things, like they're all they're all interconnected, intertwined. I remember just so many occasions in my life where someone has asked me to do something, and I convinced myself I didn't really want to do it. And the truth was, I was really afraid to fail. It's very easy to be afraid to fail. The same thing goes with like painting, uh, I painted nudes non-stop for like a year and a half and it was really successful but I got so much hate about it from so many randos that I pulled back a little and I haven't really gone back to that level of painting them since. I've done a few and I like to think the ones that I have done have been really cool and, and beautiful but there is something to say about like there's nowhere to put them there's nowhere to for them to be seen on a mass audience. I mean, one of the things that I've been really lucky about is I have a great family in the SG family. And so I'll always have a place to portray my artwork in whatever configuration it comes out to. And they welcome me with open arms. And that's rare, honestly. There's the Patreon, which you should join. Um... And then there's just, there's not really much else. I mean, Instagram is one of those weird places where 
you you could be flagged, your account could be deleted, any of those things. And like that's a really big seller for a lot of work. So it's it's a little nerve-wracking to think I'd have to start all over again with an account. Like it just feels like it's like it's a lot, you know? Like it's just a lot, a lot, a lot. And so you have to figure out what works and what doesn't work and how you feel about everything. It's just it's difficult. It is I wish it were simpler. I wish it was like this really easy kind of nonchalant thing, but maybe it's not. So part two of uh, the stories. So I, like many artists, have been worried throughout the years about people stealing my artwork. It's a weird thing because I don't think a lot of people have to deal with uh, kind of that idea. They don't, it doesn't come to mind with them. They worry more about like copyright laws on themselves than anyone seeing an image of theirs that's taken super crystal clear and then uh, basically just getting ripped off. So one solution is a watermark. Um, but I mean, someone can easily kind of manipulate that back off. So it's a little, it's a little frustrating. I mean, I've known quite a few artists, including myself, who found out that, you know, someone's basically cloned their work and then sold it overseas for significantly more money than what you would make if you make any off of it here. And that's a little exhausting. It's a little crazy. And you know, they're, they're faceless websites. Um, you can get the post taken down, but you know, you'll never get that money. You'll never get any of that stuff. I remember one of the big fears we had in art school was just someone comes to a gallery, buys your stuff, goes to Europe and then sells it for like 10 to 20 times more than what you sold it for. Put it in a nice frame, do all that stuff. And I was like, there's no real control over that. There's no, and I mean, there's really no real repercussion after that either. It's just this crazy kind of the price of making mentality. And that's exhausting, honestly. Like, what do, you, what do you do at that point? How do you make authentic work, post it up, and then have someone, you know, copy and paste exactly what you do? That there's, you know, some website in Mongolia where they've, you know, some guys posing as this debonair, handsome, strange, uh, <laughs> Afro-Latino kid, and, uh, who's, you know, who's in his late thirties, um, as a painter, painting his story, and then they're like, yeah, you should buy it, it's really good, you should buy this, it's only gonna be 2,000 real, I don't know, I know Brazilian currency, and I know American currency, <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what all the different currencies are. I'm sorry. But, yeah, it's just, uh, it's a lot, honestly. It's, it's really a lot. 
and it's uh, it can be rather heavy. And so then I go back to MF Doom, like that guy, through all the things that were going on, through all the ways that people were kind of going forward and grabbing and doing all these things, like he still stayed exactly who he was and he still made work the way he wanted to make it. And he put out mixtapes and he put out records and he did concerts when he could. And he did all these things, but he was human. I think the true, the true measure of the authenticity is just being human. And that doesn't seem like it should be difficult, but it is. Like, what do you do to hold strong to your simple humanity about the whole situation? About the whole aspects of, like, what what are you going to do? What is going to bring forward these things? What is going to shine in the light of all these things? I know so many people who are like, these artists of color and you know they are poets and writers and models and musicians and all these things and they're all trying to not lose sight of who they are in the process of trying to be profitable and I think there is a battle between profitability and authenticity because you want something you want to do something that sells but you also want to do something that doesn't feel like you're selling yourself that's difficult that's the heavy part to make a product and not be the product I don't know that I have a real answer for that I look at all these artists that I look up to because they make such beautiful and amazing art like a swoon or a zombie or a looking at art books right now so I can name things. Uh, Macbeth or a Bonnet. Like all these people, all living artists, making their way through everything. And, you know, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult to see where the line blurs between the actor and the act so to speak. I don't know I have any good answers, though, to be honest. Like, it'd be nice if I did. I'd be like, okay, so to solidify all these things, you have to think about on a very basic level of this is our lives. This is how we live. This is what we do. How we breathe. How we bathe. How we eat. How we function. We fuck. Everything. And... It's difficult. There's a blurred line there. Because we all want to be Marvin Gaye, we just don't want to die the way Marvin Gaye died. If that makes sense to anyone. Who knows? We all feel... We all see the the murder of crows in in the sky. And... We're inspired, but at the same time, like, we're afraid of heights. And then they have the authenticity to go, "Mm, I'm afraid of heights. (laughs) To be vulnerable in that way is is a big deal. Like, that's a lot. So, do what you will, I guess. Somewhere under all these things, 
the truth lies. I find it in my experience that admitting your vulnerability to at least to yourself, if not to an audience, gives you a power. Like there's a huge superpower in that aspect of just like letting yourself be the person who doesn't know what to do and admits freely, I don't know what to do right now. And I see it in photography, I see it in painting, I see it in writing, illustrators, models, musicians, everything. But I feel, I feel like, like we're getting there. Like there is no part of the story that can't be told. I think there is a difference between originality and profitability. And don't get me wrong, I want to be profitable. I absolutely want to be profitable. I'd love nothing more than to make my living doing exactly what I'm only doing in this moment. Talking to you guys, my galeras, my jinshi. Drinking a coffee from 7-Eleven. Looking at a stack of comic books I'm going to read. Got a couple of, couple of watercolor pads that I'm going to work on. Uh, a sketchbook I have to work on for two commissions that I got at the beginning of the year, which was a good day ago. Um, <laughs> and all these things. Um, you know, I want them all to be what makes up everything. And there will be one day. I'd like them to be now, but you know, we all want everything to be right now. That's not always how it works. But we, we all see these moments where, you know, we have a dream. We want that dream to be real, but we also don't want it to be smothered by the ability to go, well, I mean, I could do that, but I'm not making any money doing it. So why should I continue to do this? Which is silly, because on many aspects, like, you do what you do because you love what you do. Not because, and it enriches you. And if it happens to enrich you financially, that's great. But if it wasn't there, would you still be doing it? And, I mean, I've lived those years where there was no profit to it. And I kept making. I'm always making. So yeah. I think I'm there. I just gotta keep going forward. And I guess I'll see you on the other side of these creative endeavors. Love sharing with you and seeing all the kind of beautiful reactions of what you feel. So in that... This has been uh, Painter Files Podcast, episode 97, I think. I think it's 97. We'll call it 97. Um, Yeah. I'll see you later, Galeras. I love you. Thank you for all your support, all your help, all your insight, 
all your love, financial and metaphysical, metaphorical and all that stuff. So thank you. Pin her out. Ciao. See you in two weeks.